I love love, I love being in love I don't care what it does to me Take these tattered boxes these Hey there, and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Hunter Cates. On today's episode, we're looking for love while attempting to avoid being reanimated into arthropods with a review of Yorgos Lanthimos's English-language debut, The Lobster. Then in special features, we will discuss the B-list actors who never quite made it past the hump into superstardom during Could Have Been a Star. And finally, we will wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... All right, Midnight Warriors, so a few things have happened in the past few weeks that it probably wouldn't qualify as news, but we haven't talked about it, so it's news to us. So why don't we start from the top? Um, Chris, Star Wars, the, the Star Wars anthology picture Rogue One has recently undergone some reshoots or is going to undergo some reshoots, and naturally this has been met with some controversy with people on one end saying... Gareth Edwards has no business making this movie in the for- first place. And on the other hand, people saying, well, what were they expecting? It needs to be different. What say you? Um, I say it's a little too early to really tell. And mm-hmm. it's in our infinite news cycle. Uh, it's the type of thing that obviously sites are going to grasp onto because Star Wars is big hits and saying, oh, oh my gosh, Code Kermit, Star Wars is is, yeah. is possibly in trouble. Like, I mean, it, it's whatever. We'll see. Um, I, yeah. And it makes me it makes me no more worried than I was when Gareth Edward was announced. And to that point, Edwards. yeah. And to that point, I agree with you that it's just a, an, an effort to get clickbait and to generate interest. However, to your second point about Gareth Edwards, the thing about him that I the impression I got from the trailer is he's very, very good at visuals. Mm-hmm. But as far as character and story, it's just so slow. And I think we've maybe even talked about this in well, the show. He's a guy that comes from a background in like in CG, in motion, in in that sort of stuff. So I I I think that totally makes sense. I mean, you I have not seen have you seen monsters? I have, yes. Okay. It, I have heard that it sort of has the same problems that Godzilla has and just it doesn't know exactly how to move characters along. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, I'm kind of worried. I've been somewhat optimistic because Kathleen Kennedy, you know, backing all of that, I, I feel like, you know, with with a little more pressure, there's going to be there's going to be that pressure to keep keep it on the track. So I'm still optimistic. We'll see. All right. Well, speaking of we'll see, it was recently announced that Donald Glover, who you are a big supporter to play Spider-Man, will be in Spider-Man, but not as the titular character. That's right. Hashtag Donald for Spider-Man. Now it's hashtag Donald for, you know, a lot of screen time in Spider-Man home, Homecoming, I guess. I'm. Do I'm, we know who he's playing yet? Uh, it has not been announced as of the last uh, news that I saw, but uh, I, I'm i just excited that, that it's happening, kind of. Okay, I was about to say, are you sure that this isn't just the studio trolling people like you? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. No, I, I think that would lead to a, I, I guess I couldn't say massive boy caught but a substantial like small little subsect just just being extremely upset they might make a hundred thousand dollars less than they would have otherwise this came i mean the news that i saw came directly from hollywood reporter so i assume that this is this is legit i'm i'm excited i hope i hope it doesn't fall out and you know i think that sort of dynamic that we already we've already seen between tony stark and peter parker i think he can fit really well into that sort of screwball fast right that the mcu like, the mcu aesthetic yeah maybe since they cast uh pipe and hot marissa tomei's aunt may they'll cast donald glover as uncle ben maybe that's what <laughs> maybe that's what they did is they cast a young hot guy to be <laughs> uncle ben okay speaking of young and hot he's not young but he is hot now is jk simmons who was in the original spider-man series that kind that it didn't blow up the internet but it uh-huh. did 
attack a small subset of it. What did you think of that? I think it's gross. That's all to come out and say. It. I, I mean, think it's gross. Well, I think, I think you think it's gross because it also like, he just looks like a feral animal with that beard. <laughs> like it's the, the muscles and the beard together in that. Like, he looks like, um, um, he looks like one of those wizard warriors from an internet game from Warcraft <laughs> or something. That's all he's missing is or, the hat or like a fanfic or, or like a, somebody's own D and D. I mean, weirdo. I'm impressed. He doesn't look real. Um, uh, that's very yeah, impressive. But I mean, did you see, did you see whiplash? He was pretty ripped in Whiplash. Like you could, I mean, he Rip, never okay. he never had a shirt off, but you could just see like his arms were were pretty muscular for a dude of of his age. So he's one so, of those guys who it's surprising he's as buff as he is, like a Matt Lauer type. I I, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> that I think is a so. fifteen from, year old reference. From, but from what I understand, um, he's been working on this, and this is just sort of a life choice for him or what. He's been working on this for a few years, so this is just him at his peak of of this insanity so it's actually not Zack snyder's fault no not from what i understand Zack snyder had nothing to do with this hmm. interesting because i'm just kind of thinking he, i like my jk simmons is just and mind you he wasn't this in whiplash but i like my jk simmons is just kind of a unintimidating well, little old guy but that's why he was so effective in whiplash i think it was he was playing against the type that you typically but now by but now by turning himself into now by eating we've liam mentioned him yeah well by meeting mark Wahlberg, eating mark uh-huh. Wahlberg, that's what he's turned into all right speaking of stuff that actually the, the, the jury's still out there we may not be comfortable with it or may be great but mel gibson has recently announced that he intends to make passion of the christ too mm-hmm how do you feel about that? Just a face value. Well, you know, in the last episode, I said, we haven't seen Mel Gibson doing stuff in a while. And this is not exactly what I meant. I don't like, I guess it's, it's not surprising, especially with there, there seems to have been this resurgence in, um, you know, this kind of Christian based with God is not dead. The sequel, God is not dead Two has already come out. Other, other films like that. There, which in many ways, the first pat, which in many ways, passion of the Christ up launch. Yeah. Like the, this whole thing of getting, you know, church groups, buying out entire theaters, bringing people in like that, that sort of seems to be the audience for, for these movies. There was, there've been several, like there was young Messiah, there was mm-hmm. risen. Um, so I guess there's, there's a, and and those are both also Jesus movies. I guess I guess there is a cottage industry there for it to happen. And it's obvious, like I mean, with the way that the Passion of the Christ ends, which it's been I haven't seen it since what two thousand four when it three is when it came out, I believe three. Okay, um, are you sure? I I I would like to make a wager with you. I think it's we're four. gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to chug communion wine if one of us <laughs> yeah. is wrong. Yeah, but um, it, whatever it is, I haven't seen it since. But doesn't it end with like? the uh basically him yodaing like disappearing uh, you see the uh shawl wrapped around him like you know i'm not 100 percent what yoda yoda means when, 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 yoda, when yoda disappears in the end of, I, he doesn't he doesn't of, disappear he stands up and walks out of the out of the cave but he doesn't vanish per no, se no 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 he's laying he's laying there well the, little, i know but i know but the the blanket dissipates or the the shawl dissipates but then he stands up and walks out oh jesus does yes okay Okay. So point being is even though it's kind of been called Passion of the Christ too, I wouldn't be surprised if either A, it's a quote prequel and covers the ministry of Christ, or conversely it's a more of an Acts of the Apostles kind of story, mm. which actually AD is already doing on TV. Okay. So I mean well, maybe he's which, just covering already covered which, territory. Which would you rather see and which do you think Mel Gibson is would be more apt to pull off? Well, you know, Mel Gibson given his 
predilection for and enjoying violence would probably be more likely the Acts of the Apostles story, yeah. but I would actually prefer the former to actually cover the ministry. That's that's exactly where I I sort of land. I mean, I think I not that I would, wouldn't want to see a, an interesting, you know, well-made apostles film. I just don't think Mel Gibson is the guy to give it to us. Well, you're probably right, but I guess before we find out one way or the other, he'll have to get funding. And I, you know, I assume he has enough money post biggest divorce in Hollywood history. He still has enough money to pay for this himself, which maybe he will, maybe he won't. Well, I mean, Passion of the Christ, wasn't it? I mean, it was only like 30 or 40 or 50 million and it made. Well, and he paid for that. He paid for that himself. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why he made so much money after the fact is Hmm. because it all went into his pockets. People, no one wanted to pay for it. And since he's, he's still kind of a pariah, I don't think this will be the project that people cough up money unless he's got some, you know, a a Christian evangelical studio or production company wanting to back him. Well, Well, we'll see. Well, we've covered a lot of territory just now, so if you have thoughts on Star Wars, Donald Glover, J.K. Simmons being ripped, or Jesus Part 2 from Mel Gibson, please let us know at hello at midnight.com. Yeah, I want you to email us what you think the subtitle for Passion of the Christ 2 should be. Yes, and if Donald Glover should be in it, if, if ripped J.K. Simmons <laughs> should be in it. Well, in the meantime, stick around as Chris and I discuss the lobster. Did we love it, or is one of us destined to transform into a cinematic crustacean? Stay tuned. Hello. I'm the hotel manager and this gentleman is my partner. We'd like to welcome you. You're one of the lucky ones. You have one of our superior rooms, which means you have a view. Did you read the leaflet? Yes, I did. Very good. Now, the fact that you'll turn into an animal if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here is not something that should upset you or get you down. Just think as an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. But even then, you must be careful. You need to choose a companion that is a similar type of animal to you. A wolf and a penguin could never live together. Nor could a camel and a hippopotamus. That would be absurd. Think about it. I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you. But it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Now, have you thought of what animal you'd like to be if you end up alone? Yes, a lobster. Why a lobster? Because lobsters live for over 100 years, are blue-blooded like aristocrats, and stay fertile all their lives. I also like the sea very much. I water ski and swim quite well since I was a teenager. I must congratulate you. The first thing most people think of is a dog, which is why the world is full of dogs. Very few people choose an unusual animal, which is why they are endangered. A lobster is an excellent choice. Imagine your wife just died. Or perhaps your husband recently announced he was leaving you for another woman because she has a postgraduate degree and superior math skills. Boy, sounds like you could use an all-expenses-paid vacation to a luxury hotel resort. And that's just what you'll get as a single person living in the world of Yorgos Lanthimos' newest film, The Lobster. Patrons of the hotel, which is known simply as the hotel, are given 45 days to find a compatible mate, preferably with a matching ailment or defining characteristic. Those who fail will be transformed into the animal of their choosing. So yeah, you get it. The lobster's just your typical dime-a-dozen dystopian love story. Hunter, way back on episode 10, you paid penance for your cinematic sins with a war crimes review of David Lynch's Blue Velvet, a film which we discovered you didn't care for too much. While they are very different pictures, Blue Velvet and the Lobster do share some defining characteristics that would make them likely candidates for coupling if they were personified and found themselves occupying the hotel. These traits include their absurdist tones and their penchants for dark comedy. 
So I'm curious, did you find anything to love in The Lobster? Or did this film's slightly askew absurdity send you into a fit of anaphylactic shock? And furthermore, if you found yourself in the hotel, which defining characteristic would you look for in a mate? You know, Chris, honestly, I think I'd probably look for absurdist tones and a penchant for dark comedy. I mean, that's <laughs> that's really all you need to look for in a mate. Actually, I'm surprised you didn't ask me what animal I would choose to be turned into. I, I thought about it, but I figured it was just uh, a little too a little too easy. And we already know from the uh, the website allows you to, to figure this right. out. Yes, Chris and I took the took the test to see which animals we were. What animal did you turn out to be, Chris? I turned out to be a starfish. A starfish. The mm-hmm. reason being, um, I it because I'm a starfish man. <laughs> Whenever you lose a limb, it regrows or something. Yeah, something like that. You have your gonads in your hands. Well, and the animal that I got was a rhinoceros, very different from a starfish, and very different from the reptile. I think you and I both expected mm-hmm. because I get. I think I'm cranky but loyal, which evidently a rhinoceros is. You know, I looked for, so I wanted to post your rhinoceros because you had just taken a screen cap of it. Correct. Um, and you didn't, you didn't save it. So I wanted to post this on online, but I wanted to find a clean version of it. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find another rhinoceros. So you There's might no, be. I am the, I'm, well, they are going extinct. They are yeah. endangered. So yeah. that, that's me. But actually, uh, the animal I would choose for myself is probably Jack to J.K. Simmons. Can, can you do that? You know what? He's pretty animalistic. But okay, we need to, let's talk about the movie. I'll, the uh, To answer your overarching question, I would divide The Lobster into two films. The one I liked and one I didn't like. Okay. And actually, the lobster film that I did like is the one that was more absurd. It was, I would say, the movie's roughly two hours. The first hour, without getting into spoilers, the first hour is whenever things are very much what you've heard this movie's about. The guy at the hotel. Right. The the hotel for single people, all that. But then at some point in time, and we may get into spoilers here in a second, it turns into a different movie. And I actually thought that that second movie, the second half of the film, was pretty aimless. It wasn't as... It wasn't as focused and as funny and purposeful as the first half. The second half had, to my mind, one thing to say, and it said it over the course of an hour, whereas the first half had many things to say and came at it in really creative ways. I I, I think the second half really informs the first half and also I think informs what Lanthimos is going for overall, which is what I kind of love about this movie. And, and it's that he so... Uh, I think it was a couple episodes back when I recommended Dogtooth. I was trying to figure out how to describe like what his style is. And I very wrongly said um, in, in my recommendation, oh, he's he's like uh, someone darker, like maybe a Tim Burton trying to do Wes Anderson. I think that's wrong. Um, but I, the, the closest thing that I've visually been able to come up with is maybe like a David Fincher doing Wes Anderson visually. But I think thematically, he reminds me of in equal parts. Wes Anderson, Stanley Kubrick, and the aforementioned David Lynch. Um, in that, and for different, you know, different reasons for each, but the one defining thing that I could find in all three, um, when when really kind of looking at their work, is they each kind of, you know, set up their stories to put the onus on the audience to determine what the message is or what what the story is ultimately about those sorts of, you know, there are no answers to their films found within their films. That's why you get something like room 237, where you have multiple people saying, well, obviously Kubrick is doing this because he leaves, leaves it open. And I feel like Lanthimos does that with the balance between the two. So I think you really, you need that, that second half to make the first to, to balance out the first half. Well, without, without getting to spoilers and in a nutshell, the first half is, 
a criticism of our society's pressuring of single people to find their quote soulmate. That's a base I, in it. Yeah, in I, I, I think it's that. I think it's an observation of. I mean, there's there's a lot of great absurdity in sort of. It's almost a what if you know what if this uh, and. I shouldn't be speaking to this because I have really no experience with it. But what if this Tinder culture, you know, this swipe left, swipe right, um, put up, you know, or just online dating culture in general, put up your your best, uh, you know, assets, mm-hmm. and then and then you end up meeting a person. You're and, fictionalized and you like, for your highly mythologized version of yourself. Yeah, because every conversation that you see within the hotel in in this film at least starts out on that very like base level sort of small talk where everyone's very complimentary. Everyone's very, even, even if someone like one person approaches another and seems very awkward, the other person is so eager to not die or, or be transformed into an animal that they too are sort of meet them with the same sort of eagerness and, uh, willingness to engage in this ridiculous small talk about, oh, well, I think this is very nice. No, you are right. That is very nice. Here are other things, too. Right. And then the and the overarching idea behind that being is that if we're so pressured, as it were, to seek out a mate or seek out, once again, quote, soulmate, that we don't become authentic versions of ourselves. And we, in many ways, almost become neutered as people because we have no individual personalities. We're just trying to become what we think our potential mate wants. Mm-hmm. So I, I, once again, I really like that part. And I agree with you that the second half informs the first half because the second half goes on the other end and says that there's also almost a radicalized culture of single people who are almost defiantly anti-relationship. So even if an organic relationship springs up like one does, mm-hmm. they're going to resist it violently because they're so and they're so anti-establishment at anything. And so while I well, I appreciate that, while I understand and form that, the storytelling, I, I understand what it was about, but the storytelling seemed overly elongated and a bit aimless because it, it felt like something that it would take 30 minutes to say, and he felt the need to say it over the course of an hour, and I don't think he had enough story there. I, I mean, I, I can see that argument. I, I disagree. Like, I think, I think he's actually kind of taking a hard left turn in what this story, like the story becomes something that you don't really expect it. Like you, we can, and I think we should probably at some point soon get into spoilers maybe because there's a lot to dig into in just that. Well, know, real then, then how absurdity. about this? Cause, cause basically all we have to talk about, I guess there's spoiler. What we mainly have to talk about are spoilers. Well, there's just so much yeah. within those. So ladies and gentlemen, at this point, we are going to spoil the lobster. Yeah, I I liked it throughout. Hunter liked the first half at at least. I liked the and, tail and not so much the claws. Chris <laughs> okay. liked the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think with the you know with the back end, it it shifts from being this. You know, I really thought there's no way, there's absolutely no way that Colin Farrell is going to find anyone because he is so dopey. He is so you know that he's that, gonna do what now. He, he's not going to find anyone like he's oh, going to okay. be turned into a lobster. I mean, that's just sort mm-hmm. of the way the trajectory of things, because you see Ben Wishaw's character. He's willing to um, sort of compromise himself to find a mate, uh, whereas uh, he is very Colin Farrell's character is very, uh, you know, feels very sincere. And that sincerity is almost a problem for him in this situation. Um, so when it shifts and he ends up out with the, the loners and then it sort of turns into this love story and this very like sort of touching, tragic love story. I was, I was on board for it. Is it, it's, it's not quite as, I would say it's certainly not quite as humorous. 
Like there are still laughs throughout. There's still some great moments and lines, um, but it, it does maybe slow down a little bit, but it also, the trajectory shifts in a way that I found pretty pleasant. We've developed a code so that we can communicate with each other, even in front of the others, without them knowing what we are saying. When we turn our heads to the left, it means, I love you more than anything in the world. And when we turn our heads to the right, it means, watch out, we're in danger. We had to be very careful in the beginning not to mix up, I love you more than anything in the world, with, watch out, we're in danger. When we raise our left arm, it means, I want to dance in your arms. When we make a fist and put it behind our backs, it means, let's fuck. The code grew and grew as time went by, and within a few weeks, we could talk about almost anything without even opening our mouths. I have a a thought that just occurred to me, which I'd like to throw past you. At no point in time do we ever see an individual transformed into an animal. It's all just understood that that's the case. Do you think that that was actually a myth within the world itself, that people are not transformed into animals? I, I do not. And I'm glad we're in spoilers when you're asking me this, because I would really want to talk about. So uh, in my, my prime example of the closest thing is the girl who is uh, the best friend of Ben Wishaw's uh, the blonde, yeah, the blonde with the nice hair. Um, she basically she she doesn't she doesn't make it. She's given. There's this great little moment where she's given, uh, you know, her last rites basically, and she decides that she wants to watch Stand by Me, and which is sort of a weird uh, choice in and of itself. But then basically the next scene, so she she her friend reads the little letter to her that's sort of a backhanded compliment sort of thing. She slaps her the next scene, or maybe it's a scene after the next scene is Ben Wishaw and his mate and this little pony with the most beautiful mm-hmm. blonde mane. But I, and you know, but on the con- flip side, the entire purpose of this hotel, this universe is to convince the people within the universe that it does happen. So they found a blonde horse you know what i mean right the, and, the thing and, about it i'm not saying it's not it's one of those things as you pointed out this movie doesn't provide the answer to many things it's mm-hmm. up to you so, i believe i believe in the actual so actually fascinating you are taking the hunter the hunter approach and going with the more fantastical element whereas I, i'm i'm I more uh grounded reality because my my thinking is is that even though this is a very absurd film the 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 absurdity is still once again, grounded in reality, it's still stuff that could happen in this universe. You cannot turn a human being into a crustacean. You cannot turn a human being into a horse. Well, I mean, Ben Wishaw explains it all within within the film. But, but even that, but even <laughs> the, but see it, but even that is convoluted. So, how about this? Do you think that Yoros Lanthimos meant it to be ambiguous whether or not they turn into animals, or is this just me? I mean, I think he he's sort of a jolly prankster in that he likes the open endedness in. Um, I mean, it, of the the three films that I've seen, including this and Dogtooth and Alps, like he loves he loves leaving things to the on, audience, and generally not in a uh, what I, what I would describe as like a Damon Lindelof sort of way, where it's just infuriating, but more where he just where he playful. doesn't he doesn't just take pages out of the script yeah, and then exactly he, he intentionally like- builds you know constructs it to where it's perfectly informed just enough to where you you can really then decide and have a dialogue. And so, I mean, maybe I, I'm sure you, I mean, as, as you are now, you, you are arguing that it's, it's totally 
fake. Um, I, I just, I completely bought into it. I completely bought mm-hmm. into with, with the minimal information that we have about how this society works, how the city works, the hotel works, that this is probably, this is probably accurate. Um, and do I need an explanation? No, because it, it works. All right. Fair enough. Um, speaking of it works, um, how do you feel about frumpy, frumpy bowling that, pin, that, uh, Colin Farrell <laughs> bowling pin. So, so we've upgraded from a pinball to a bowling. Pin. I actually meant bowling pin. I, okay. I, I listened to that last week and thought, no, I meant bowling pin, but that's what <laughs> Russell Crowe looks like. And that's what Colin Farrell looks like. Uh, I think, I think his guts are doing a lot for him here. His gut is its own. Literally figuratively has a lot of guts to do this. Yeah. It's, uh, it works really well. It's, I mean, it's, he's really, I'm, I admire the man for, you know, committing to, to that. And I don't know, I know this was filmed a while ago. I don't, I mean, it, it sort of looks like, but a little worse than his, um, true detective body. You know, it's, it's even a little further, uh, diminished, but I think it works really well. And it, it, it complements sort of the, uh, the character and the frumpiness, you know, he's, he's all, he's better as a character actor than he is as a leading man. I really, well, and yeah, and in this, his, his body, his look, he was, he was once, of course, you know, uh, he was Bane and Angelina Jolie for a reason. So for him to be like this, he genuinely does seem like the middle-aged nightmare that no one wants to become. But he totally embraces and, it. And, and, I and love yeah, it. And, I absolutely love God it. God bless him for it. And so uh, Colin Farrell has gotten a lot of praise for his understated performance. And I know you're a, being a Wes Andersonite, you're a big fan of understated. How did you feel about that in this? I, I I like it. I think I really like all the performances. I mean, I think this is... So I was a little worried with this being Lanthimos's first English language film. Um, I think a lot of times it is difficult to make that, uh, that translation, the, not just in a language barrier, but in a cultural barrier. I think the thing that's really nice is he's never been a director who's really into verisimilitude anyway. He's not, you know, he's not the type of guy where you see his, his movie and it's like, Oh, that feels like a slice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the absurdity that he's always had, naturally sort of translates into any language because he's already he's already creating this facade that you buy into or you don't well to that point though it's almost billy wilder-esque and that you have someone whose first language is not english and i don't think that his dialogue is as clever as billy wilder yet it may yet be in a future there's film. there's some great there's some good lines zingers. but not but not not billy wilder levels <laughs> there's, so there's, there's blood and biscuits everywhere but um but as far as being someone whose native tongue is not english but is still able to translate Western, you know, mm-hmm. this, this part of the world's ideas about relationships. I was, I was impressed with that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I imagine there's gotta be some universality to, to that, especially though. I mean, I, I'm just, now I'm really interested to see if he continues working in English or if he goes back to making Greek film. I mean, cause I, I think he fits pretty well. I think he's going to sort of like Wes Anderson, he's going to have to work with actors who feel comfortable in in that realm. So let's, I mean, other than Colin Farrell, how do you feel about, I mean, Rachel Weiss is obviously mm-hmm. sort of the, the next um, sort of big character. And she, she really, she's introduced at the very beginning, but as a, as a narrator, but in a weird and, way, and, and, isn't introduced until an hour. At later. any point in time, did you think that she was just the narrator? Um, I had seen I guess trailer, you had seen, so you, had, no. you had seen, yeah, you, uh, but having not seen the trailer, I was under the impression that she was just going to be the narrator mm-hmm. and once again, a Wes Anderson so fashion. That's, that's, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that. That, that, that is interesting. Much like, uh, Alec Baldwin in Royal Tenenbaums or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, but what did, what did you think of sort of the, it felt like, honestly, it felt sort of like a, 
great American novel in a way. In, I wouldn't in the, say great. I wouldn't say great American novel. It felt well, more the, like, like it, it, it felt like Salinger. It felt like, like Salinger mixed with Vonnegut. Something like that is what it felt like to me. Actually, I didn't really get a great American novel vibe out of it. More a metamorphosis Franz Kafka S in that it's absurd lunacy as a metaphor for the bleakness and uselessness of life. Well, and I, I don't mean, and it's not just, mutually exclusive, but that's I, what I yeah, thought. And, and I think we're talking about different things as well. I'm not even talking about necessarily tonally, mm-hmm. but just in the, the way that the narration plays into it has, has a very sort of, uh, narrative feel in that, that sort of, you know, those, those thin American novels that, uh, right. Well, it's certainly a story that you couldn't, that most, most of the time people wouldn't tell cinematically they would tell in the form of a short but story, it, but it's sort of, it, 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 they both inform each other and it doesn't feel the narration doesn't feel lazy in a way that it often can. And I think partially because it has a payoff beyond just being narration and actually becomes a piece of the story itself, which is, I think it's mm-hmm. very nice. Um, there's, there's just a, there's a nice lyrical kind of quality to, to the pacing of it throughout. Um, I mean, and that, that even goes beyond the narrating. I think the narration sets that up, but then, um, the way that he handles editing, the way that he handles visuals, I mean, he's got a little bit of, um, we've mentioned Wes Anderson a couple of times, a little bit of that Wes Anderson overcranked, you know, slow-mo. I mean, particularly there's, um, I think one of the first times you see it, it's Colin Farrell going across a dance floor. And, uh, the first time I saw this, the, the first, the only thing that I could think of was the end of Rushmore where everyone's dancing on dance. Floor well, okay. I'm getting ready cranks. to sound like a, a Noah Baumbach character, but given we've mentioned, given we mentioned Stanley Kubrick, we mentioned Wes Anderson, we mentioned David Lynch. What would you think of the argument that Yorgos Lanthimos is just doing a pastiche of other people's work? Do you I, think that's a fair criticism? No, I don't think that's a fair criticism at all. Now, why because, do you say that? I mean, it, it feels, it feels like it, it it only, I mean, it doesn't feel like his stuff is necessarily informed by them. It just has the only way to describe his um, his style is to find things that you can. You know, it's it's like reading a Walter Murch book where he's constantly using simile and metaphor to explain something because mm-hmm. it's the easiest way to. It's a shorthand. See, because to that point, even though I'd like it once again, I enjoyed the first part. Certainly in the second half, it was starting to feel like, OK, it's quirky quirky, weird, independent movie time. I, I really, I just don't get that because, you know, I think it is holding up the first half and, um, it's, it's informing the first half in a, in a nice way. So it's not, it's, it's not just like, Oh, Hey, here's, here's a weird, let's get weird. Yeah. Here's a weird cutscene of people dancing the woods just because the reason I, I say that about the, the, I keep going back to the word aimless is it feels like whenever someone's writing characters, they know where they want to go with the characters, but they don't necessarily know how to get there. And so it felt almost like he was stalling for time. Where specifically do you not, feel not, like? Not where specifically so much as once he's part of the group and his, in his relationship with the Rachel Vice characters going on, it just, it, 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 there's a lot of nothing happening. There's a, they're, and they're showing the nothing happening. Well, they're no, I, I disagree. I think they're they're showing the development of that relationship. They're also showing the world beyond the walls of the hotel, which you've really only seen in that woman murdering that donkey in the beginning, which I, I assume is, you know, her cheating ex-husband or, or something. Or who knows, yeah. Um, where she just she had to get vengeance uh, after the fact. And then you go into the city and you have not only where you go and you know, meet Leah Sadu's 
uh, parents, but then you go to the mall and you see how the police interact with people who they think are mm-hmm. single. You go to the doctor's office. You have that little, that nice little conflict of Rachel Vice saying, Oh, why did three of us come? This is, this is a bad idea. Like we're going, it, it informs the world even more of like really even numbers is a whole thing across, across the board. And that's, that's set up from the very beginning when, you know, uh, Colin Farrell arrives at the hotel and he's told, oh, well, you can't be bisexual because we no longer offer that. Uh, you can't have a half size shoe. It's got to be yeah, one it's, or the it's other. Got, yeah, it's got to be one. There's, it's got to be two even, at all point in time. Yeah, there's this evenness. To yeah, and, that, and that's all well and fine. But at the same time, how long it, it he would he had so much economy in the first half that the second half. That's what bothered me is the lack of economy. And to that point, it's almost it it lacked it lacked the same editing okay, there, confidence so as what the first it, half. So what I was getting to earlier was there's um, he's using that slow mo and everything, and um, in in a few places, probably the most prominent place is that first hunt, and that seems it's all over cranked. It's all this slow mo with like some sort of operatic score underneath, and it's sort of absurdly pretty. Like these people, they're hunting the you know. Uh, the loners out mm-hmm. in the woods, but they're hunting them with uh, darts with, you know, uh, tranquilizer darts. And so you see the dart actually slowly fly out and, and nearly miss a person or, or that sort of thing. And it's a pretty long scene and it feels pretty indulgent, but immediately after that, he follows it with this amazing cross cutting where it's going between um, Colin Farrell, sort of like learning how everything works with, um, getting, uh, whether, whether it's getting, uh, his daily butt rubbing from the, from the, uh, his daily lap dance from his, yeah, which, which is his maid. very odd or, um, John C. Riley getting punished, putting his hand in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the toaster. It's, it's cutting between that. And then those sessions where everyone's in the ballroom and they're doing the sort of, this is what happens if a, if a man eats alone, mm-hmm. this is what happens if a woman goes out alone. Um, those lessons. And it, it's really giving you a lot of exposition information very quickly without it feeling like, like that because they're cross cutting in. Between I feel it. like you may memorize this. Have you, did, I, I, I just, I've only seen it twice, mm-hmm. but it just like, it has really, I've had a lot of time to sit and think about it. Um, and it, it's, I will say to, to your, to credit, to your point, there is nothing quite that economically brilliant that comes in that second half. And, and I don't, but I also don't know that we necessarily need that. It. It's necessary. Okay. Well then I guess all we can say is just, um, Again, like I said, it may not be bad. It may not be good. It's, but I, I like the first half, not so much the second half. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. And that doesn't surprise me. But I'm, I'm just happy that you liked any of it at all because I was really worried that you were. You well, were just it's, be it's like, I don't, I don't. Well, know. because the, the blue velvet reference, because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought to make that connection. Blue velvet. With that, we don't, we don't need to go back well, to that episode. Yeah, here, but we just, all think about it's blue just velvet. The, yeah. I mean, because that was. Have you seen any other David Lynch? Not since no. Okay, because it's. I wasn't sure if it was the absurdity or or what it was because this has a pretty dark tone as well. It's not not nearly. I mean, I would I would classify it as a dark comedy slash sort of a rom com, but in a very odd way. I mean, I mean, you're t- you're talking to a, a purebred Monty Python fan here. <laughs> I I love me some absurdity. I think my issue overall with Blue Velvet, without getting to that, is it just that felt less 
that that felt less purposeful than the lobster. The lobster, at least I understood what okay. what the absurdity was. It wasn't just, oh, look, here's something stupid. <laughs> Except for maybe the second half for you. Well, no, because actually, once again, the second half wasn't as weird as the first half. The first half had way yeah, more absurdity yeah. than the... So it's just, your your real complaint is just if they would have tightened that up I think from if, I think an hour they t- to 45 mm, or something half like an hour. that, yeah. Okay. I, I, I would hate to see it go, but I would... I would buy that as a compromise, I guess. Once again, you like the claws. I just want the tail. <laughs> well, I like the whole thing, baby. Yeah, well, whenever you uh, consume this lobster. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. It's a summer movie. It's a weird summer movie. But what's your favorite part? Do you have a favorite part? You go first. I'm going to think on this. Okay. My favorite part is probably the first time there. I mean, there's several things. There's there's probably 20 quotes that I could give you. But uh, my honestly, my favorite part is probably this little touch. And, and you see sort of animals roaming around throughout. Um, you know, you'll see a peacock or you'll see um, just odd things out in the forest where they shouldn't be. Like they're not in their own domain, but they've obviously just been released in the the surrounding area. Um, and it's the first time Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz like come together. And I think it's the first time they kiss and they're having just a quiet little intimate moment, just deep in the background, deep in back in the focus, you see the little miniature pony with the blonde mm-hmm, right, mane, yeah. just, just roaming around lonely. And it, it's just a, it's a nice little detail. It also kind of feels like a little jab at her because she was such a bitch to him whenever he tried to make small talk. And that, that was something that we didn't really get into, but I thought it was interesting how whenever she turned off to him, he instantly became, uh, you know, changed from being like the jovial small talk to just like, oh, well, I'm going to shut down then and just uh, not, not engage you at all. Yeah. Basically. Again, not having a personality of his own, just mimicking the personality of whomever mm-hmm. he's with. And to that point, so that actually, uh, answers my question is it wasn't a moment per se, but I liked whenever he went to the queen bee bitch, the ice, the ice the, cold lady and the, started, the heartless, to, ado- yeah, heartless, and started yeah. to adopt her personality. Oh, man, and and, and what it? I like, here's what I like about that part, especially is that that section had the best comedy, but also had the lowest lows. It also had the darkest, the darkest drama yeah. and that they managed to pull both of those off without either one contradicting each other, undermining mm-hmm. the other. I thought that was impressive. Well, and that, that really has a moment where for a, a lesser filmmaker, I don't think they could have come back from that lowest low moment. Like there, it, it reaches a point where I guess we're already in, you know, when, when she has kicked the dog to death slash his brother. Yeah. And you see the, first the blood on her leg and then you actually see the dog there. Like, that's someone with lesser skill might not be able to make you laugh again. And actually to that point, that moment, now that I think about it, that actually was very Lynchian, I would say, because it was just on the cusp of being played for last, just on the cusp. I, I don't think it, like, I think it, I think it was almost like you've been laughing a lot, but there's also some dark, like there's, there's just darkness to this entire setup and don't forget. Right. But anyway, so and that, that's the correct answer for okay. me is uh, that was my favorite part. That's a good parts. Pick. All right. Well, speaking of good pick. So, Chris, whenever you consume the lobster again, what will you be drinking? Okay, so I thought about this and I wanted, you know, I've decided maybe it's going to be an IPA summer We're we're three in. Maybe I'll keep it going. But then I got this idea, you know, I could go really kitschy with it. And then I realized I can do both. So I'm going to go with a beer. It is from uh Rogue Ales in Newport, Oregon, and it's called New Crustacean Barley Wine Imperial IPA Sorta. And so this is this beer is basically what the title, uh, the the big mouthful title presumes. It's sort of a barley wine, sort of an I- imperial IPA, 
Um, so it's got it's got a nice uh, aggressive hoppy kick to it, but it's also pretty sweet, pretty malty. Um, it's, it's really a weird, it's one of those beers that I, I probably wouldn't recommend this to you, Hunter, because it's an IPA with a barley wine on top, which is in and of itself sort of a weird, mm-hmm. um, unusual. And they don't, they don't undermine each other. They, they complement each other in a, in a weird way, but I do know people who have had this beer who just didn't like it because they thought, well, it doesn't, it doesn't choose what it wants to be mm-hmm. really. It, it tries to have both. I like it. I think, I think they go pretty well together. It's a, it's a thin line that's balanced, uh, pretty, pretty well. And I, I enjoy it. Not, not a favorite beer of mine, but, um, worth, worth a try. And, uh, you know, for the kitschiness of, uh, recommending the new crustacean, um, I think it's worth it. No, no, absolutely. And actually, I'm impressed. It just occurred to me. We went this entire review without once making a pinchy reference. (laughs) So I corrected that right now. Good job. Just made a pinchy reference. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the lobster is currently lighting up art house screens nationwide. So if you've seen it, please tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail in your most deadpan voice possible at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Or better yet, see if you can communicate with us in animal. Noises? Yes, animal noises. Clicks? Maybe maybe lobsters clicking Lobster in Lobster clicking code. or, yeah, bang or what have you. Sonar? Oh, my God. I would Dolphins? be Black Phillip. <laughs> oh my gosh that's how the, did how did neither of us how think did we of that? how did it take this long that's the actually actually uh a24 um had a you know when when they posted the thing i think they said that they would be uh they would be black Phillip. well okay there you go the internet i mean they they, 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 they re, they're distributing both these films, it, so they have the right it's all regurgitated yeah well anyway ladies and gentlemen stick around after the break because we'll be discussing b-list actors and could have been a star the point where all I want is to sleep around in hopes that I'll catch back up. We are parallel lines, we're running in circles, we're never meant to cross. I'm at a loss, you were my tangerine, my pussycat, my trampoline. Now all's I get so instant cheeks and dark problems, I signed a lease, thinking my heart belonged in 93rd part. Instead, I broke a girl's heart, flew back to Phoenix to finish the year as a star. Can you hear me? Are you listening? Fame is a relationship formed between a star and his fans, and like any relationship, fame is fickle and tends to fade. But some stars manage to maintain it like a long-term marriage, aging and adapting with their audience. These are the A-listers, the mercurial gods and goddesses sitting atop Mount Hollywood in semi-perpetuity. But we're not talking about them. We're talking about the B-listers, the never-quite-made-its. You know their names, recognize their faces. Maybe you even remember back when they had their shot at superstardom, but somehow came up short. So here's the rub. Why? Why do Tom Cruise and Meryl Streep sell millions of tickets, while the next Tom Cruise, G. Law, and the next Meryl Streep, Helen Hunt, do not? For that matter, despite the term schlocky connotations, is being a B-lister really not a bad thing? After all, B-listers are more at liberty to do interesting work knowing a studio's bottom line isn't being placed on their backs. On the other hand, being able to afford that private island in Antigua must be nice too. Today, during Could Have Been a Star, Chris and I will discuss actors who never quite made it to movie superstardom. Who are some of our favorites, and, well, why didn't they make it? 
We'll also discuss which next big things of today may very well be the also-rants of tomorrow. So Chris, who is your favorite B-list actor, and do you think he or she is better off for it? And I'll, I'll just throw this one out there because I think I know what the answer is. Is it Greta Gerwig? Greta Gerwig is a great choice. Actually, yeah, Greta for, so for actress, probably definitely be Greta Gerwig. And she's, she's, I don't even know if B-list is quite right. She's sort of existing in another stratosphere of um, actors and of cinema in, in a well, way. Well, again, in the way I'm defined being list is the kind of the classic. The cla- like, yeah. Once again. And in, and in that case, yeah. And I, I think she is, I, A, I think it would be weird if she was turned into an A-list star because she's, it, it would sort of probably neuter everything that's great about. Well, do you think that she could style. manage it? Do you think that that would actually ever she to take off? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it would be weird. I think it would be like a Colin Farrell, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, and for so for my, if you don't mind, for my male star, I would would go probably someone who kind of exists in the same circle, uh, a Mark Duplass, mm-hmm. who is sort of. He can he can play a leading man in an indie film. He's never going to play a leading man in a big budget film. Um, but I guarantee you, like your mother has probably seen Mark Duplass in five or six things. My he's mother everywhere. probably hasn't, but the, the but I see what you're saying. I, I, yeah, no, I I mean I bet he's probably shown up on sitcoms that she watches, or you know she he's sort of he shows up everywhere. Maybe not in a huge part, but. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he just exists in everything or has, you know, touched it as a producer. That's, that's neither here nor there, but, um, I, I like him. I think he's solid. I think as a leading man, he would be probably watered down a bit and, um, probably, I mean, honestly, w- listening to interviews with him, I, I think he might implode. If well, he and I don't, him. I can't really both with Greta Gerwig and with Mark Duplass, I can't really think of a based on the type of movies that are being made today, what kind of movie where they would be the leading person. I can only ever see them being it would the be buddy. It would be a meet cute with the two of them. Well, but it is even then it would just, it, they, they are just so indie, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like they, they just are. their personas are so indie. So once again, I think the only way they would be in one of these big budget movies is like Robert Downey Jr.'s love interest or buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's, that's the only way it would work or part of a, part of a large scale cast, but those are actually two very good answers. So I think what would be a fun game to play, Chris. Wait, but what about you? Who, do huh? you have a, I'm, do you have I'm, a I'm, I'm hosting this segment. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't have to do that. I see. I um, see. Okay, so I think a fun little way to address this, Chris, is as we introduced in the in the beginning of this, is sometimes being a, quote, B-lister isn't necessarily a bad thing because, again, you're liberated to do interesting work. You don't just have to do right. superhero sequels at infinitum. So I'm going to go off, list some names, and you will say we'll discuss winner, wash, or wasted. All right. Winner, wash, or wasted. So winner, of course, being that they're better off wash, meaning either or, and then Mm -hmm. wasted, meaning, you know, they would have been better off being an A-lister. Okay. Not just monetarily, but from a creative standpoint. Okay. All right. So we'll go semi-alphabetical order here. Alec Baldwin, winner, wash, or wasted? I'm going to go wash, I think, because I think, well, particularly when he was younger, um, when, and they they tried to make him into an A-lister, mm-hmm. but it just never really took. What do you think? Why do you think that is? I I really don't know. I mean, the 90s, 80s and 90s were a weird time for that sort of like there's just a there's a style that he, he um, kind of he does not have an everyman bone in his body. Yeah. And that, actually, we'll true. talk we'll talk about this guy in a second. But John Hamm, I think I think John Hamm is going to be in a similar situation to Alec Baldwin. But we'll get to John Hamm. Oh, we'll, get, I, we'll get okay, we'll get we'll, okay. we'll talk about John Hamm in a little Put bit a pin in that one. But um, I think it's the same the same thing as Alec Baldwin is just an extremely attractive man. 
And but and you couple that with just the fact that once again he doesn't have a, an everyman bone in his well, body. Well, he, he is he is more interesting as a character actor because he sort of embraces the fact that he isn't an everyman and, and that he has this mm-hmm. boisterous voice and kind of plays against that in a, in a great way. Very charismatic, uh, attractive personality. Mm-hmm. And so by, by being aware of that, self-aware of that, I he's mean, done better. Or even narrator to go back to Royal. Or Thanos. yeah, even, even as narrator, taking advantage of that. However, I will say, you know, it's, it's not anyone's best picture winner by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm a big, uh, big fan of The Shadow. I'm sure I've mentioned that so on the show before. <laughs> and that was one of those movies he did that, oh, we're going to make Alec Baldwin a star. No, mm-hmm. it didn't happen. All right. John Cusack um, maybe was an A-lister at a time or at least a, a patron saint of his generation. Yeah, never certainly. Really and I mean, he, they, they, as recently as 2012, you know, he was still leading movies and, but it, he's sort of leading those sorts of, those types of. Uh, of flicks either it's a weird thing where he's a buddy with billy bob thornton or it's a you know actiony weird yeah he, he gets or, he he's a he's above the credits as it were above the title and mm-hmm. as you said straight to video but not necessarily stuff that goes to theaters yeah um, except for 2012 you know i really don't care too much for john cusack this goes way back to our what like episode three or four when we talked about uh the Cronenberg movie, which the name is escaping me right now, Maps to the Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, what that that's actually a role that I like him in more than general. Uh, I I don't care. I think the thing about John Cusack is the the reason he appeals to a subset, but the reason he hasn't appealed to the mainstream is the same reason: is he doesn't really seem like he ever wants to be there. And he's always playing characters, so you get the impression he doesn't want to be mm-hmm. there. And so that may be fine for angsty Gen Xers or angsty millennials, but as far as mainstream audiences, that's not all that appealing. Hmm. All right, um, this one should be pretty easy as far as one of the three W's. Orlando Bloom. Okay, so winner and wash, which is which is what winner is? They're better off. They're as better. They're better off where they are as a B-lister. What, Though I'm not even sure he is a B-lister. I think he just disappeared. Yeah, he did. What's the fourth option where you want? them to just disappear and you don't want to see them in anything ever again think think like is it better or worse that orlando bloom well it's better that orlando bloom wasn't didn't continue as the main star of the pirates of caribbean movies but maybe if he did we wouldn't have so many of them yeah exactly we wouldn't have even had a second had that been the case had there been no johnny depp Orlando Bloom, here's Orlando Bloom, is Orlando Bloom is very much like Colin Farrell in that they tried to make him Russell Crowe. Oh, well, no, but- here's the thing. He'll go back in time. They tried to make him Russell Crowe with uh, Orlando Bloom, who was Kingdom of Heaven, with Colin Farrell, who was Alexander, except Colin Farrell had his acting talent to fall back on right, whenever okay. he failed as the next Russell Crowe. Orlando Bloom, not so much. Yeah. And he's, I mean, I think the last thing I remember him in was The Hobbit. I well, mean, he is pretty diminutive as a, as a actor. So that yeah. makes sense. All right. Um, Eric Bana. Eric Bana. Um, I, I like him better as a character. So that's a winner, right? That would be a winner. I think yeah. that would qualify as a winner. I mean, yeah. he's, no, he's not, he's sort of awkward. So you don't really want him as a, as a above the title A-lister. All right. Um, so now we've, we've talked a lot of guys. Let's do some women here. Gwyneth Paltrow. Would you... Because she's she's one of those types who oh well she's an A lister but not really I I think she was late nineties for sure um, she she was she had that maybe five or six years where she was really you know could do no wrong you know coming off of um, probably probably coming off of Shakespeare in Love like she rode that wave for for a while honestly maybe the best the thing that I like her the most in is the Iron Man series and she's not even in those anymore 
Exactly. She's uh, she's like what uh, she's Robert Downey Jr.'s buddy. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, she is. That, that, and she works well as, as, as like I mean, and, and a lot of the other roles, and you, know, you think of her in like seven and she's not given a whole lot to do. I feel like she was given a lot of those roles as well, where she's just the wife or she's just sort of a love interest. And so maybe maybe she has acting chops that I'm just not aware. Of, I don't I, I just think I'm she's sort planned. of planned. And that's what I was gonna say. I'm just sort of bored by her mostly. And that's why I like Pepper Potts, because she has character. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody's not bored by Gwyneth Paltrow, but we'll throw that out to the audience. Surely there's someone out there not bored by her. Okay, Chris, I've been leading the charge on winter wash or wasted. Uh, I see you have a list, so let's go over some of these. I, I do have a list, and I guess there's, there's some crossover here. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a softball to you first, Freddie Prince Jr. I I don't know what happened there. I mean, obviously it's it's bad for him, you know that he that he never made the A list or yeah. even the B list. I'm I mean, he's really... he's sort of in the same as Orlando Blue. Yeah, he's sleeping with uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. So at least at least he's got that going oh, for him. Is is that is that so? Well, they're married. So are they? Okay. Yeah. I thought I thought she was married to like Ryan Phillippe. Is that not true? That was Reese Witherspoon. Your <laughs> Hollywood, your Hollywood gossip knowledge, Chris, is it needs it needs some work. Um, but yeah, Freddie Prince, Freddie Prince Jr. I mean, it, it's there wasn't anything there, and once he stopped being pretty young thing, yeah, well, not, and he may still be attractive, but it, but it just. It, that he had an expiration date. We'll put it he, that way. He, he did. And that, I mean, that was like 1999. That was like new year's 1999, 2000. I don't, I don't think he did anything. He is not all substantial. that. You might say, you might say that. And so the way, the way that I sort of organized these was sort of, uh, he comes out of my groom to be a leading man, uh, role. Here's, here's another one. Taylor Kitsch. Yeah. Uh, I've, I don't think I've, I've ever actually seen him anything to be honest with you. I know who he is, really? but I don't think I've ever seen him. You anything. haven't seen John Carter. You mm, haven't seen, no. you didn't watch true detective. Mm, you haven't no. seen Friday night lights. Not a, not a one. Okay. Believe it or not. Like I said, I know who he is, but the impression I get him having never seen him anything is he's just, uh, you know, okay, look, there's a guy, a meathead. Yeah. I, I, for a while kept thinking that he would be, you know, sort of the, okay, we'll see some acting chops. I think honestly, after true detective, Yeesh. So he just I, can't act. It's that simple. I, I'm I'm afraid that it's it's kind of getting that way. Well, um, what's interesting about that is I would argue that um, Harrison Ford is not a great actor per mm-hmm. se, but so he, he doesn't really he found have a, his. Niche. I don't know. Yeah, he's yeah. he's just got it. The it, and I guess Taylor. Yeah. Kish but there's, is there's not. a charisma that Harrison Ford has mm-hmm. as well that that really works. Or okay. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's let me get out of the sort of like dumpster bin. What about uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.? How do you feel about <laughs> the that? dumpster bin? Um, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, I could have thrown Josh yeah, Hartnett at yeah. you. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, boat trip is underrated. <laughs> Boat trip is underrated. Anyway, you see people shit on it, but they've never seen it. If you've no, seen no, boat, if you've no seen boat trip, trip, it's not that bad. Um, I don't know what happened to that poor guy. Jerry Maguire is so good. Cameron Crowe too. I mean, I don't. Mm, no, Cameron Crowe hasn't done anything exactly. Great, so I don't. I don't. The curse of Jerry Maguire or something. I, well, I, I, I pity I'm, you, Cuba. <laughs> Uh, apparently he was very good in the, uh, people versus OJ Simpson. Yeah, the OJ Simpson thing. Uh, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't, I can't speak to Maybe it. Maybe comeback time. Okay. What about, uh, what about Katie Holmes? We what about, what about Katie Holmes? Actually, the interesting thing about Katie Holmes, I did, she's not obviously a great actress and I don't think that she had a bright future per se, but the worst thing that could happen to her career is the Tom Cruise marriage because mm-hmm. people would not cast her because they didn't want Tom Cruise to be involved in their picture because the movies she was going to be in are like small movies little indies yeah. and then all of a sudden you've got the Tom Cruise show yeah so that's what did it in for her mm-hmm. 
Um, okay, I've got sort of an interesting one here. What about Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf. Uh, here's the thing: Shia LaBeouf slash Lindsay Lohan. Same problem is you had you had. Oh, I don't. I don't think it's the same problem. I, I disagree. You had two people who showed talent and who were able to carry movies on their own. Him being that uh, that rear window ripoff one. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, and then uh, her the um the Tia, Tina Fey one. I can't even remember. Mean, mean Girls. Girls. Yeah. Mean Girls yeah. is great. Yeah. She's great in exactly. it. So you have two people who demonstrate talent were able to carry movies on their own, but them just being such shit shows undermined everything. I I don't think like I don't think he's the same sort of shit show that uh, They're different shit is, shows, though. but they're both, yeah. I mean, I I feel like he just thinks he's Jean-Luc Godard or something right now. He he maybe yeah, he's um He's like a Sundance Channel shit show, whereas yeah, she's a Showtime shit show. I mean, show. he's like he's like James Franco's protege that James Franco doesn't know that he has. The make-believe James Franco. He, except, yeah, except he's not, like, whereas James Franco is very prolific and very productive, he's not. Yeah, but but same issue, is they just demonstrated that, that they're crazy and no one wants to work with yeah, them. Yeah, very odd. Let's let's go ahead and get to your, uh, do you want to get to John Hamm? Yeah, let's go. Okay, I have a list of future could have been's, and these are people who I do not think will ever make the A-list. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned John Hamm in reference to Alec Baldwin. I think they've, they're very similar in that I don't really think John Hamm's going to get to the A-list. You disagree? Uh, no, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I was disagreeing with, I thought you were saying that he was like Alec Baldwin and that he has no everyman bone in his body. Um, that, that's where I was disagreeing with. I, he's no, he's, he's got a Midwesternness to him. He is like, he can command and he can, um, as you know, as that Don Draper character, but he is totally capable of things beyond that. And I still think his com his comedic chops have yet to be tapped. I don't know if they ever will. Do you think he'll, do you think he'll make the A-list? Um, no. And I don't, I don't think he necessarily needs to be a list. So he'll be I think better off for it. I think he's more interesting. Yeah. Th- that's definitely a winner. Here's what I think may go wrong for John Hamm is I feel like he was declared a star before he, the audience made him a star. And that's well, actually a theme you'll see with a lot of these people is if the media says, Oh, Orlando Bloom's a star, but the audience hasn't said they're a star. I, the audience will punish I, him for I it. I think it's different for John Hamm though, because, and, and he's also coming at this unique point in time at like the cusp of, you know, this new television Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, sort of an A-list star on a television show. You know, it's, it's a weird thing where he wasn't starring in films and Mad Men was his like really first big role. So it's, it's an odd thing there. But one thing that you can't forget is that no one really watched Mad Men. You know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. most people only know him as that guy from that show about the sixties, that good looking guy from that show about the sixties. And so I think what happened is they recognize the name. They were, they know Don Draper. Don Draper Mm -hmm. is a, a cultural touchstone but as far as john ham i don't think he'll be able to break don draper you're probably right but like i like i've said many times before like i hope someone shows off his his comedic chops and he can have you know sort of spread out from there all right so another guy who i don't think will ever make the a-list chris hemsworth um you're probably right i mean i i don't know where you place him in i mean he's certainly not going to be in some sort of dramatic oscar bait film Mm, yeah um i am curious to see what he does in ghostbusters because there i have seen a few clips where he's got you know some some sort of comedic chops that are um can work well i think with 
your um with with your Melissa McCarthy's and your Kristen Wiig and you know the people people in there. So we'll see. Maybe you know it could be like a Channing Tatum or a John Cena, where well, like <laughs> you find you find that he actually has this funny bone that you you don't really expect his John Cena moment. Because yeah. I was actually thinking his Ryan Gosling moment is mm-hmm. because Ryan Gosling. Yeah, John John yeah. Cena is probably pushing it way, putting way. Too He's high not going to be the next John Cena. There's, a there, there's, there's just yeah. yeah, that's just not going to happen. But um, you know, I I hadn't considered that because I was almost thinking, no, sorry, Chris Hemsworth, it's not going to happen. I I'm I'm a girly man and read Vanity Fair, folks. I'll just come out and admit it on on this show. But they did a feature store on Chris Hemsworth. And they said, well, he's a movie star because he's – essentially they said he's a movie star because he's a movie star because he's a movie star. Mm-hmm. They couldn't justify it. I mean, a better movie star than his brother. That's true. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, Liam, then, and there's actually three of them. Are there? Yeah, there's three of them. Are, are all three acting? I think so, yeah. It's okay. like the Owen brothers. Wherever there's one, nobody's ever heard of. Well – Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson. What about him? On As far as B-list. Is he better off or worse off? Or Yeah, I mean, was he ever really A-list? Well, the, I, I feel like he there I mean, might have been a movement to get him to the A list. I guess maybe. I mean, I yeah, no, I think he's he's much better off just in that in his comfortable wheelhouse. I mean, he and obviously being a Wes Anderson fan, I I love everything that he you know has sort of done in in the Wes Anderson films, and I think he's shown a bit of bit of range there, and he's sort of he he's sort of a weird like I never like him nearly as much in other things as I do in. Uh, Wes Anderson's films. Luke Wilson, I don't think that he has has enough to be the person you build the movie on. But for something like the mm-hmm. Skeleton Twins, he was terrific in that. Skeleton Twins. Yeah. Oh yeah. I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot. Yeah, he was. Well, I was, and you know, I was thinking, uh, what's uh, Kelly Mucho, um, or not Kelly Mucho, uh, uh, the Mike Judge? Um, why am Idiocracy. I like, Idiocracy? I think he he works pretty well in Idiocracy because he has that sort of like like he doesn't know what's going on kind of look on his face all the time anyway. So it kind of feeds into it. But he's he doesn't have much range necessarily. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes somebody who knows how to draw that range out of him. All right, I'm getting ready to rip one off of your list, but it's, okay. we, we should talk about it because this was a guy I thought really was going to be a star, Sean William Scott. Sean William Scott, yeah. Um, what do you what do you think that is? I, you know, maybe just the Stifler effect. He was never able to get past Stifler. He, and to, and you know, I guess to his credit, again, you have a character who will live on in infamy, but he wasn't able to get past that. I don't think anyone from that movie series has done anything, but him especially. Yeah. Well, actually I had him on what I was calling my Southland Tales edition, Mm -hmm. which is a a double feature between him and Sarah Michelle Gellar. The only person to come out of that, uh, I I guess uh, technically you could say two, but really the only person to come out of that is The Rock. Well, who's your second? Justin Timberlake, but he was going to come out of it in other ways anyway. Um, but neither of them, I mean, in really Sarah Michelle Geller, like that was like the sputtering out of her. Like when I remember when she was announced in, uh, self and tales, I was already, already like, Oh, I forgot she was in things well, and with him. It, it seems like about the tail end of mm-hmm. his, of, of his brief start. Yeah. So I think the thing with both of those people is they are not that talented, but what they were good at, they were perfect for a particular character. He was perfect for Stifler. She was perfect for Bud well, and, Buffy. And for a particular time as well. It's sort of like that ticking time clock with like a Freddie Prince Jr. where it's like once you get out of that, then you can't like unless they can evolve in their character, in their persona, um, then they're kind of DOA because you can't play Sean William Scott like – 
the only Stifler character he could play now is if he was playing like a Wooderson sort of character from Days and Confused, right? As like the old guy who's still stuck in high school. And even then, that that has a expiration point. That that yeah. person's not going to be the star of a movie no, necessarily. No, he's going to show up for two scenes. All right. I don't think I, I we haven't really talked about this. I'm not sure you've seen any movies with this person, but actually, the most famous actor ever never escaped the B list, and I find that fascinating. That's Ronald Reagan. So have you ever seen any Ronald Reagan films? Obviously, he's a winner as far as the winner wash wasted. So I, yeah, obviously, um, I have seen some of the killers, um, but not the the TV version of the Hemingway or the movie based on the Hemingway short story uh, with it's him and John Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not really impressed by him in it. Now, why um, do you, why do you think that is that he was not able to be an A-lister? Why were you in from your not being impressed with him? I mean, I was just, I, he was a, he was sort of an age appropriate character delivery device. Mm-hmm. He was, he was, I wouldn't even say he was fine. He was sort of lousy. Really? You know? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so, cause I've never seen the killers. Just, I mean, it just no, no real charisma, no real, like he didn't have anything that grabbed me. Yeah. Um, you and I talked about this off mic in regards to another actor who we will speak at, at infinitum on at a later date on this mm-hmm. program. But I think what happened with him is he was someone who had a personality that shouldn't be confined within a character. And I think that's, that's how well, he did better off. He, he used his actor training obviously to succeed mm-hmm. in politics. And then I mean, TV shows. Had, had he become, you know, had he stayed in entertainment and become like a, uh, I don't know, like a Vegas night act. I could see that working. It just like as a character on screen, there was no, because well, it's not, he actually did that. It's yeah. it's, Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's not that necessarily he lacks charisma as a person, because you can tell from, you know, his, his presidential speeches and, and those sorts of things. Like he has it. It's just as an actor, like I was with the brief bit that I've seen, I'm not, not really on. Board. Yeah. And so, and so perfectly charismatic people. And that may be the takeaway from this. There's some people who just don't have it. They aren't charismatic. I mm-hmm. would say Orlando Bloom is one of those, Yeah, but then there are other people who have charisma, it's just not very well funneled through through right. playing people who aren't them. They're better off playing themselves, for instance. Yeah, yeah, or or some facsimile of themselves. Exactly. All right, well, Chris, I've enjoyed this B-list conversation, but it's probably time to call it to a close. Is anyone else that you want to throw, throw um, some mud on real quick? I don't I don't really think so. There, I, I guess there is one thing that I kind of hoped we would get around to, and that's people who initially didn't make it. I've got two on my list. All right, we've got, okay, go for it. Yeah, I mean, one one we've already mentioned, Robert Downey Jr., mm-hmm. and we even mentioned him on the, you know, the last. And I f- fully would have expected him to stay in the B-list, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I would have too. The other one being Ben Affleck, who I think 10 years ago, had you said he was going to be where he is now, it would have been absurd. I'm not really sure where he is now, because I, I halfway feel that he's going back down. He's like John Travolta in that he chronically makes mistakes. Uh, I, I think he's I think he's very calculated now, though. I think he's very... I would have thought that, but then the whole Batman thing, that just seemed very slapshot. I, I don't think... He's going to get rich off it. We'll, so. we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think Batman killed him. And he's also got the... The other thing is he's got the engine of himself as a director mm-hmm. that he can you know continue to put himself in films where I haven't absolutely loved any of the films that I... I haven't seen all of Gone Baby Gone, but of... Uh, uh, Argo and the town. the town, like they're decent films. I enjoyed them. They're, you know, not, not perfect, but they're fun sort of popcorn movies. And I think if he keeps doing vehicles like that, maybe, maybe he doesn't, maybe he falls a little below a list, but I think right now, you know, especially 
post gone girl, he sort of has a wave that he's been writing that, um, is sort of amazing. To no, me. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And then another person who falls into that category is Liam Neeson because mm. he really burst onto the scene. He'd been in some movies, but he burst on the scene with Schindler's list and he right. was Mr. Actor, actor, actor guy. And, but he'd never really found quote stardom until he played, you know, a one man wrecking crew. Right. And that's, that's a weird, weird trajectory. And, and one that honestly, I don't, I don't really wish upon anyone because <laughs> I feel like while the first taken was pretty all right. And I, I mostly enjoyed the gray. Like I want to see Liam Neeson sort of get out of that cycle now. Actually, what I want to see is for Daniel day Lewis to get in that cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Daniel day Lewis and his take. Okay. What if, what if, I got a pitch for you, Daniel day Lewis versus JK Simmons, MMA, geriatric. I MMA. would not wish anybody in a match with JK Simmons. Quite honestly, he would rip <laughs> no, them limb Dan- from no, limb. Daniel day Lewis would spend the time to get that jacked. You know, it's one again, J.K. Simmons. It was just freaky. It is. It was absolutely freaky. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So those are our B-list actors. We want to know who are some of your favorites and why do you think that they never really made the A-list? And is that a good thing? Yeah. And and I would like to say this is this is B-list in a sense of we didn't really get into character actors. Yeah. yeah, That's that's a whole other beloved. Yeah. Not character actors, not Bruce Campbell B-listers. We're yeah. talking about people who just never made up the hump to superstardom. Right. So let us know what you think at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. recommendation time once again uh what do you got this week and who does it star well it actually does not star a b-lister so that's good uh a long time listeners of this show know how much i like obscure films it's it's the the bottom of the the it's the bo- i like bottom of the shelf films <laughs> at blockbuster <laughs> that i love those films and so since blockbuster doesn't exist anymore i stumbled onto a movie on hulu the other day that i don't know how much longer it's going to be on there so you need to watch it it is from 1990 and is called a shock to the system and i will be brief because i want you to be able to savor all of its wonderful juices without me going too much into it gross michael kane one of my absolute favorites michael kane 
plays a middle-aged marketing executive who is passed over from promotion and in a fit of rage accidentally kills a homeless person but doesn't get caught for it. And so this is about the ramifications from that. It's not absurdist, but it is very much a dark comedy. And what, what I love about this movie is there is a sense of discovery seeing it because I did a little research. It came out in March of 1990, made only $3 million, one of those movies that was in one week and out the other. It feels like something that had you and I been remo- reviewing movies at, at, in 1990. <laughs> uh-huh. We've been in like, oh my God, this is great. I, I love this movie. But, and then it disappears. No and then one, no one would have read our zine. Exactly. No no one, yeah, exactly. No one would have read our, our weekly newsletter. But... Um, so it is, it is kind of fun. Just it almost makes you wonder how many movies are like this out there that came out in mm-hmm. various points in time that just. So does this feel like the type of movie that you discovered? Like, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, starring Michael Caine, one of my favorites. If the idea, Michael Caine is just such a phenomenal movie star. I, I, I would argue in in 1990 was he an A lister though? I um, mean, because he kinda, well actually yeah, this was one of three bombs that year, three Michael Caine bombs. So he's, I wouldn't say he's an A-lister. He's, he exists in like Mount, the Mount of Perpetually Over. You know what I mean? Okay. Like where well, Sean Connery is. Even Sean Connery, even if Sean Connery's okay. in a bomb, it's still Sean Connery. Same well, Michael Caine. But I feel like Michael Caine, like it was oddly, it was sort of Austin Powers that brought him back into the public consciousness. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. As he was not a, uh, he was, he was a lower echelon. Actually, he's come back per se as a, as a supporting actor, a, a character actor. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's still Michael Caine. He still has, he's still a movie star. You know right. what I mean? Even yeah. if he's not, yeah. even if he's you. not rolling him in. So if the idea of Michael Caine playing a bitter middle-aged ad exec, basically a kind of a murderous Don Draper appeals to you and it <laughs> should, then you would love this movie. It's called A Shock to the System. It's on Hulu. Watch it ASAP. All right. That's, uh, God, I really want to watch this. I, I don't even re- want to recommend anything. I just sort of want to stop. Just stop, stop the episode, and go, and go watch, watch it, Shock to the System. Uh, but since I have to recommend something, I, I guess I'm going to recommend, I've been, Hunter, I've been, been a little sick lately. And so I've been, uh, sitting at home with a lot of time on my hands. So I s- decided to start, uh, rewatching Twin Peaks by David Lynch. And I figure, you know, David Lynch, he's an absurdist. This, this show is so weird. It, it came out actually, uh, first season was 1990, ran for two seasons, 19. 1991 and i can't believe it made it on to network television it's sort of a marvel um it's i guess you know baseline it's about uh this young high school girl is found murdered on a beach and then uh in in this small northwestern town and then you kind of find the seedy underbelly of what seems like a very wholesome town. Like everyone has secrets and and that sort of thing. Much, I mean, it, like we talked about with Blue Velvet, like that that David Lynch theme of sort of the idyllic and then the darker side of it. Uh, but the thing that I love about this show, particularly the first season and then the beginning and end of the second season, is uh, it's it sort of playing with. Uh, the tropes of a soap opera and it's even directly like addressing there's, there's a soap opera called, I think invitation to love that people will be watching on the TV and it will actually be commenting on uh, things that either have just happened or about to happen in the twin peaks, the show. Um, and so it's just the, you know, it's sort of this very 
absurd over the top acting, um, a little different than what, what you get in maybe the lobster, but still odd, still weird. Um, and, but it's, it's a delightful show. You know, it's, it's a soap opera for people who don't like soap operas in a weird way and who like oddity like David Lynch. And is there any Pabst Blue Ribbon? In this television program, I don't recall any Pabst Blue Ribbon in this, but uh, it is, you know, this is available on uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime and Hulu. So basically, if you have a service that allows you to stream things, you can probably watch it right now. And just once again, to prove that life is stranger than fiction, it stars Kyle MacLachlan of Flintstones fame, who you might remember <laughs> from the Flintstones. Remember, reality is always weirder than the movies, folks. You know, I, I don't think Kyle MacLachlan's ever been as good as he is in anything David Lynch has, has directed him in. So maybe that's the key With the to exception him. of the Flintstones. With yeah. the exception of <laughs> the Flintstones, maybe. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Please check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes weekly movie recommendations and more you can say hi to hunter on facebook or me on twitter and instagram at wsam pod and if you enjoy the show rate us review us or subscribe to us in itunes or your favorite podcatcher it'll help us grow the midnight warrior clan and it'll make you feel awesome and if you're just the trolling type ironically enough we actually love you so if you've just been hate listening through this credits please please tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com Or if you're a narcissist, leave a voicemail and we might just play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Shout out to The Format for the music on this week's show. Find more at theformatmerch.com, where right now you can pick up a limited edition 10th anniversary pressing of their album Dog Problems, get it, on a beautiful baby blue double LP. Join us another fortnight as Chris and I discuss Roland Emmerich's space invasion epic Independence Day Resurgence. Do Chris and I have sequelitis, or will we be taken on a nostalgia trip just like we were when we were kids? Well, thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time. <laughs>